0: Heavenly Father, you are worthy. As we bow here this morning, we are coming before the creator of the universe, the sustainer, our savior, God almighty, and yet the one whom we call Abba, Father. Heavenly Father, may we not take lightly the privilege of praising your name this morning. May we not just go through the motions, mindlessly recite words as we sing. Or listen to another sermon as if we are listening to any other talk. But may we recognize the God whom we are worshiping. The power of the word under which we are sitting. Heavenly Father, do a mighty work in our hearts. Open our eyes. Wake us up from our slumber. That truly you are God who is worthy. That you would be praised this morning. Work in our hearts. Point out the sin in our lives. Reorient us with your truth. For your glory. And I pray that as I preach this morning. That your spirit would work through the word of God. I pray that you would give me boldness and authority to proclaim this truth with clarity. That your name may be lifted high. And pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability that everyone else in the household will follow? If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. But if the father is first... There is a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. This is the opening sentence of a 2003 article published in the Baptist Press. It is titled, Do You Want Your Church to Grow? Then Bring In the Men. Maybe the most shocking thing about this article is the fact that 2003 was 20 years ago almost. But even though these statistics are some 20 years old almost, I suspect that these statistics have not changed one bit. In fact, the original article goes on to say this. He said, the, the author says this, I doubt that comes as a great surprise to most people, said Sid Woodruff, men's ministry and deacon ministry specialist in the Church Resources Division of Lifeway Christian Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't have to have statistics to tell us this is true. There is something in the hard wiring of creation that naturally causes wives and children to look to husbands and fathers to lead. There is something in the hard wiring of creation that naturally causes wives and children to look to husbands and fathers to lead. 20 years later, the culture in which we live would look at that sentence and see it as dated and wrong. And yet I would submit to you this morning that Mr. Woodruff is exactly right. There is something in the hardwiring of creation that naturally causes wives and children to look to the husbands and fathers to lead. It is the responsibility of husbands and fathers to lead, and it does go back to creation itself. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 to 15, the Apostle Paul teaching on, on male leadership in the church. He says, I do not permit a woman to lead And this. He doesn't say, this is just my opinion. Paul grounds that teaching in creation itself and the fall of man. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Again, in Ephesians 5, 22-33, here talking about male leadership in the home. As a husband and as a father, Paul once again grounds his teaching all the way back in creation. God's institution of marriage, God's intention for the man to lead and for the wife to submit. His teaching is counter to everything that our culture would tell us today And yet that does not make it any less true. God's intention from the beginning and his design is for men to lead in the home and in the church. My question for you this morning, men, is how are you doing? As we sit here on Father's Day, how are you doing? I wants to turn our attention to Joshua 24 this morning. It's not a traditional Father's Day passage. And yet it's a passage that I pray this morning that the Lord will use in the hearts and lives of the men of Altoona Regular Baptist Church. I pray that this morning if you are here and you recognize that you are failing as a husband, as a father, or simply as a man in general, that you are failing to step up, you are failing to lead that this morning through this passage that the Lord would grab your attention, that He would wake you up to the great responsibility that you have as a man, as a father, and as a husband. And if by the grace of God you can say this morning that I am doing my best, I am leading my family to fear and to serve the Lord, then praise the Lord and may the Lord use this passage to strengthen your resolve, to encourage your heart. To give you the grace to continue. So we're going to look here at Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. It's a well known passage. And this morning we're going to see a path to take and a choice to make. A path to take and a choice to make. First thing we see in Joshua 24, 14 is a path to take. I actually want to back up and read the first 14 verses, 13 verses of Joshua because it gives so much context. In fact, the first words of verse 14 are now, therefore. You see, the point that Joshua is making here is based on what he has just said. You'll see as we read verses 1 to 13 in these passages, Joshua is tracing God's faithfulness to Israel all the way from Abraham all the way through the present day. It is based on that faithfulness. It is based on that God and all that he has done that Joshua here calls them to faithfulness themselves. I'm going to read these first several verses. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron And I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea down upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you also, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I delivered you, delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and the olive groves, which you did not plant. Now, therefore, notice how many times in those first 13 verses as the Lord is speaking to his people through Joshua, how many times he says, I, I, as your God, as your Lord, I did this. I called Abraham. I gave him a land. When Isaac went down to Egypt, I brought him out across the Red Sea. I led you through the wilderness. I led you across the Jordan. I knocked down the walls of Jericho and gave that city into your hands. I drove out your enemies. I gave you this land. I have done this because I am your God and I am faithful. And I am powerful. Joshua here, running through all of Israel's history, All of what God has done. And as Joshua now stands as a leader at the end of his life, having faithfully led this people by following God, Joshua stands now at the end of his life as the people have come into the land, they've taken possession and they're they're gathering here one more time at Shechem. This is kind of Joshua's last message to them. And he is showing them the path forward. What do we do now? Look what God has done. And now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Fear the Lord. Notice the order here. I think it's important. He doesn't start with serve the Lord. He starts with fear the Lord. We talked about fear of the Lord a little bit on Wednesday in our passage in uh, Psalm 99. talks about the the fear of the Lord as the nations come trembling before this great God. Often we talk about the fear of the Lord. We use a a definition of of awe or reverence before this great God. And Wednesday I told you that, that that is true. But the fear of the Lord goes beyond a simple awe or a recognizing of who God is but it is also included in that it is a recognizing a right view of God that then leads to a right response uh, to God it's not just seeing God and wow he's great but it is a seeing of God a recognizing of who he is of his great power and holiness and his glory. And then once seeing that, it is a response that, that leads me to serve him in sincerity and truth. I must first see God in all of his glory and who he is. I must come to, to know that. And contrast to that. To see my sin and how far separated I am from this holy God. At that point, all hope of merit is gone. I do not deserve to serve this God. I don't deserve any good thing from this God, and yet by grace he calls me to serve. It is once I properly fear the Lord, once I view him as scripture unfolds him, that I am then able to serve him in sincerity and truth. Fear the Lord, and then serve him in sincerity and truth. Part of fearing the Lord is remembering who he is and what he has done. Even as Joshua has just done here in the first 13 verses of Joshua 24. In fact, all throughout Joshua, as you work your way through the book of Joshua, as we did uh, a few years ago, all throughout the book of Joshua, you'll find uh, monuments that they set up. Things that they set up to remind them of what God has done. They are constantly rehearsing who God is and what He has done. Why? Because it is important to remember that. So that you can fear the Lord. And then fearing the Lord so that you can serve Him. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. The idea there of sincerity is the idea of completely or blamelessly. It's not the idea of, of being fully obedient or perfection, but it's the idea of being fully convinced. of seeing this great God and then serving him Because I have seen who He is. I have seen and experienced His goodness and His grace and His glory. I am serving Him because I am convinced that He is God. The idea of truth is the idea of faithfulness. Serving Him blamelessly and serving Him faithfully. Fully convinced and fully committed. Because I have seen and I fear the Lord. So this is the road forward. Joshua stands at the end of his life, as he is giving his last bit of advice, his last message to his people. These are his words of wisdom. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. That's the key. That's it. Fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and truth. He goes on here. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. You see, the first step of serving the Lord in sincerity and in truth is devotion to the Lord. It is putting away these idols, turning from them. Notice the language there. It is to put away. Not simply to put aside, but to put away. To remove. Not the idea of just to to set aside in the back of the closet somewhere just in case you need it later but to put away in the trash to completely remove for some of us it's a lot easier to just set something aside than to put it away some of you are probably kind of hoarders you like to you know you never know i might i might need this scrap of paper sometime in the next 20 years I'll just, I'll set it aside in the back of this closet. My brother Edward is that way. I remember I had an old pair of soccer cleats, and uh, they were my favorite soccer cleats. I used them all through my first few years of high school, and, and I used them so much, eventually they got a hole in the side. And so it was time to get a new pair, so I threw them away. A few weeks later, I was in my brother's room, and I saw those in his closet. And I went to Edward, and I said, Edward, why, why are my old cleats that I threw away in your closet? He said, well, I might need them someday. <laughs> That's just the way he is. He keeps everything. In fact, when Chris and I were first married, we lived in Greenville for a year. And then before we moved up to the ministry in Indianapolis, uh, we were packing up, and we were getting ready to move, and one of the things that we came across was the unity candle from our marriage. And it was, well... What are we going to do with it? I mean, it's just going to be in storage for the rest of our lives. We, I mean, we don't need it. So it was one of the things we were going to throw out. And Edward was helping us load up. And he came across and he said, you can't throw that away. That's your unity candle. That has meaning. Well, what are we going to do? Just keep it in the closet? It does no good. He's like, well, I'll keep it. <laughs> so my brother Edward has Christianized unity candle. He, it's not easy for him to put something away. He would like to to stuff in the back just in case. You never know. The language here is strong. Remove. Remove these gods. Take them out of your lives completely. In fact, if these are something that you store in the back of your closet just in case, that shows in and of itself that you are not serving the Lord in sincerity and in truth. You are holding on to that just in case. Remove it. Root it out. These gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, you see, those gods have a history. There's a connection there. In fact, in verses 2-3 to of verse 24, Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord your God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. These are gods that go all the way back to Israel's beginning. These are gods that go all the way back to Nahor, to Terah, to Abraham. Get rid of them. There is no reason Throw them out, remove them completely. What about the gods that we picked up in Egypt or on the, the road along the way? Get rid of them. Sadly, Israel has a history of idol worship. I think we could expand then, and says humanity has a history of idol worship. Joshua is here saying, get rid of it. See the greatness and the glory of your God. Fear Him and then serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And step one is to go into the back of those closets, those little gods that you've been holding on to just in case you need them. Get rid of them because you don't need them because your God is great and He is good and He is all-powerful. You don't need those gods. You don't need those little good luck charms. You have God. He really sums it up in these last three words, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Don't you see that this is the only logical response to this great God? as you look back over Israel's history and all the things that they have seen God do, the only right response is that you would follow a God like that. Brothers and sisters, as you look at the word of God, as it unfolds, this this picture of God, as God reveals himself to us, as you see that, Faith is not foolish. It is the only right response to a God. Like that, to the God unfolded to us in the pages of Scripture. Serve the Lord because of who He is and what He has done. I've recently started walking more. Trying to get out and, and walk in a nice weather. Being cooped up all winter. Uh, I'm enjoying this weather. And typically when I walk, I'll walk north this way. And When you get to the train tracks, there's a, a bike path. And I can go either west or I can go east. But I can't go both. I can't go both. Either way, it's about the same distance, but I can't go both. I have to make a choice at that point. And here at this point, at the end of his life, Joshua is saying, you must make a choice. You must make a choice. And he is laying out very clearly, here is the path to take. But they must choose which way they will go. And so that's what you see in verse verse 15. He's laid out the path to take and now there is a choice to be made. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. What if what if I don't want to serve God? What if I've I've seen all that. Yes, I've I've benefited from it and here we are, but but that just seems wrong. Well, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. It's kind of an interesting verse here at the beginning of verse 15. It's almost shocking. Why, why is Joshua giving these people permission to serve other gods? We see what Joshua is doing here is he's not encouraging them or giving them permission to turn from the Lord. Rather, he's highlighting the absurdity of turning from the Lord. If you don't want to serve this great God who has done all of these things, that's on you. You must make a choice. I can't choose for you. Your other options are these other defeated gods. Choose which one you will serve. Notice also he says, choose for yourselves this day. Note the urgency in Joshua's message. Choose now, choose here. Don't don't dilly dally. Don't don't try to kind of hang somewhere in the middle and hope that it all works out in the end. Choose today who you will serve. Right now. This is if Joshua is standing there and he draws a line in the sand. Right now, you will choose. You will either come over here or you will stay over there. You can serve the one true God God who has led you all these days, who have, you have seen too, these remarkable things, these, this one God who loves you, who cares for you. Or you can serve the God of your father from over on the other side of rivers. You can serve the God of the Amorites, and whose land you even dwell now, this God who couldn't defend them. But it doesn't matter which way you go, if you're going to choose that way. It doesn't matter which false god you serve. If you've turned from the right way, it doesn't matter which wrong way you go. You can choose this defeated god or that defeated god. But you must make a choice. We live in a world today that would tell us that all roads lead to the same place. And in a sense, they're right. All roads do lead to the same place, all roads but one. There is one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And every other road does lead to the same place. If you're not going to follow Jesus, it doesn't matter what other road you take, you're going to end up in hell separated from God for eternity because of your sin that condemns you under the wrath of a holy and just God. If you have turned from the right way, it doesn't matter which wrong way you go. I don't care what God you serve if you are not going to serve God Almighty. But understand the end of that road. As you come to the end of verse 15 Joshua here takes a stand it's a famous passage as for me and my house we will serve the Lord And this is where I want to bring it back around to Father's Day Joshua here doesn't huddle with his family and ask his wife and his kids what they want to do. Joshua, as the leader of Israel, as the leader of his family, he stands up and he says, this is where me and my family are going. We will serve the Lord. Notice there first that Joshua says, as for me and my house. Joshua recognizes that the faithfulness of his house begins with the faithfulness of him. He must be faithful. As a husband, as a father, you must be faithful. Your family will see your hypocrisy. They will recognize it. If you are not... I will be faithful. As a father and as a husband, as for me, I will be faithful. I will serve the Lord. This takes us back to that first statistic that we looked at this morning. If the father is first, there's a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. As for me, I will serve the Lord, and my house will follow me. You cannot make a disciple if you are not a disciple. It is scary. The older I get, the more like my father I am becoming. Not on purpose. I don't try to do things, but I just I do things, and I'll even think to myself wow, that sounded and looked like my dad. And then Crystal will say, wow, that's kind of like your dad. I don't try to. He's just, he has rubbed off on me. He has had an influence on me, an impact, even when I wasn't trying to imitate him. It rubbed off on me. And Father, the same is true with your faith and your faithfulness. Your family will see that. Let them see that. Lead them. Lead your family to fear the Lord. Let them hear your testimony. Spend time in the word of God. Let them see how great your God is. Let them see your fear of God. Lead your family to fear the Lord, and then you can show them how to serve the Lord. This is who my God is. And this is what it means for my life, day in and day out. As for me and my house, me first, as the leader of my house, as husband and as father, I will serve the Lord, and my house will come with me. We will serve the Lord. Fathers, it is your responsibility to lead your family, And not just to lead them to success, it is your responsibility to lead them in following the Lord. Your primary responsibility as a father is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Your primary responsibility as a husband is to love your wife as Christ loved the church and to lead her in serving the Lord. On December 15, 2011, Christopher Hitchens, a well-known journalist and outspoken atheist, passed into eternity after a battle with cancer. In his book, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, The Restless Soul of the World's Most Notorious Atheist, Larry Tanton, an evangelical Christian who had a close relationship with Hitchens, writes about Hitchens' home life and experience with religion. Listen to this. Christopher thought his early family life was generally very bleak and tension-filled. His parents had him baptized in the Church of England, but it seems that neither Eric nor Yvonne passed any real religious convictions. I have no idea whether my mother had any religious views or not, Christopher's brother Peter told me. We never discussed it at home. As far as I could gather from occasional muttered remarks, my father was a sort of agnostic who had a very strict Uh, Calvinism ran down his throat when he was a child and who was reacting against it. Rather than a Christian sacramental act, Christopher's baptism seems to have been part of what his parents considered a good English upbringing. Thus began his introduction to religion. Never committed, seldom deep, and always on the margins. It was that last line that grabbed my attention. Thus began his introduction to religion. Never committed, seldom deep, and always on the margins. Perhaps the world's most famous atheist was introduced to religion by a father's hypocritical and empty faith. And brothers, we must ask ourselves this morning... Is the faith that our children see never committed, seldom deep, and always on the margins? Or is it real? Is it deep? Is it life-changing? Are these the truths that guide our lives? Is it the gospel that defines us? It is not the words that your children will hear you say that they are most likely to remember. But it is either your faithfulness or your hypocrisy that will have the biggest impact on their lives. Like it or not, those who live with you, they see and they know the depth of your faith. They know how real it is to you. You might be able to justify skipping church for this reason or that, but what your kids see is that church is not important. You might be able to justify not tithing for this reason or that, but what your kids see is that it's not important. You might be able to justify not doing your devotions because this has come up or that has come up. But what your kids see is something that is not important to you. Will your children see a faith that is never committed, seldom deep, and always on the margins? Or will they see and follow a real, deep, committed relationship with Christ? If you expect your family to serve the Lord, brothers, you must serve the Lord. And do not stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord unless you are all in. In fact, shockingly, that's the direction that Joshua goes. Look at verse 16 of, of Joshua 24. So all the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed and the Lord drove out from before us all the people including the Amorites who dwelt in the land he, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. You'd expect at this point to Joshua to, to jump up and, yes, praise the Lord. Listen to his answer, verse 19. But Joshua said to people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. Don't take this lightly. The people stand up and say, yes, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, you can't. I have have been with you these last hundred years walking through the wilderness. I have come into the land with you. I have seen the fickleness of your faith. God is holy. He is great. He is just. He will not do with your fickleness. People said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Do not stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord unless you mean it. Brothers, do not take it lightly. And how did that work out for Israel? Look to verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and not just that, but all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. They did take it seriously. Perhaps this is the only generation of Israelites ever who took it seriously. See, Joshua understood that the biggest threat to the faithful is not outright opposition from without. It is apathy and hypocrisy from within. So choose you this day whom you will serve. And then be faithful. Your family does not need a husband or a father who coddles and accepts them for their every whim they need a man who loves them enough to tell them the truth and to lead them. They need a man who displays his love for the Lord, who models faithfulness and service. They need to see your deep faith, your commitment to church, your faithfulness in Bible reading, your faithfulness in prayer and in giving. They need to see your conviction for evangelism. They need to see the passion in your voice as you sing praise to your God. Let them know your convictions in the movies that you watch and the music that you listen to. Let them see how real it is to you. How committed you are. How deep it is. The greatest thing that you will leave your children when you are gone is not wealth or opportunity. The greatest thing that you can leave to your children when you are gone is a godly example to follow. Because the reality is that one day your children will stand before a holy God. question that you must ask yourself this morning is will you have a clean conscience when they do? When they stand before God on the brink of eternity, a holy, a just God, will you have a clean conscience? Brothers, your wife needs you to lead her. Your children need you to lead them in the fear of the Lord and in his service. Your brothers and sisters in Christ here at ARBC, we need you to lead your families. The Lord expects it and the Bible commands it. And in fact, when you joined our church, you signed on to a covenant saying that you agreed with it. Lead your families to fear and to serve the Lord. This is a passage that calls for a choice, a commitment. And the question this morning is, what about you? What about your house? What idols this morning need to be cast down in your own heart and in your home? The idol of sports? the idol of pragmatism, the idol of success, the idol of financial security, the idol of status, the idol of whatever else may be ruling your heart, cast it off. Put it away. Remove it completely. And fear and serve the Lord. As for me and my house.